Well, good evening, everyone. Am I on? Uh, and welcome to, to uh, one of our own boys. Uh, I'm not sure too many people would describe him as boy now, but anyway, uh, Alan Dickey, uh, uh, currently uh, assistant in NOC, and he will be bringing the word tonight. He, I'm not sure if he'll be happy for me saying this, but he is eligible on, what, about 10 days' time? And will be expecting, or praying, certainly, that a congregation will call him. And just, I'm sure you would appreciate prayers that you'll get guidance in that. The Lord... Following the, the, the sermon tonight, we, we'll ask the Lord to note that fact. That's all we need to do in our prayers. The reading tonight is taken from Psalm 10, and you will find it in your pew Bibles on page 546. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts of the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. He is haughty, and your laws are far from him. He sneers at all his enemies. He says to himself, nothing will shake me. I'll always be happy and never have trouble. His mouth is full of curses and lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait near the villages. From ambush he murders the innocent, watching in secret for his victims. He lies in wait like a lion in cover. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. He says to himself, God has forgotten. He covers his face and never sees. Arise, Lord. Lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, He won't call me to account? But you, O God, do see trouble and grief. You consider it and take it in hand. The victim commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evil man. Call him to account for his wickedness that would not be found out. The Lord is king forever and ever. The, king, the nations will perish from his land. You hear, O Lord, and desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed in order that man who is of the earth may terrify no more. Amen.
Let us pray. Lord, we look around our world and how evil men cause destruction. We just look at this past week on the news, Lord, and we bring Barcelona before you. We bring the many people devastated by this atrocity. Lord, please be with those who mourn. Bring them comfort. Be with those who live in fear of the possibility of further attacks. Bring them peace. Be with the many services that have been and that will be involved in caring for all those affected physically and mentally and socially by this tragedy. Give them strength and endurance. And Lord, though we find it difficult, we pray for the terrorists. Lord, may their eyes be opened. May they see the error of their ways. Lord, we bring the people of Sierra Leone before you as well, where landslides have just devastated lives. Bring people hope and comfort as they mourn the loss of their loved ones, of their homes, and all of their possessions. Lord, you are a gracious and compassionate God who is slow to anger and rich in love. May they find shelter and rest in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Good evening, folks. Um, it's really good to be back in Bloomfield again. It's always good to be back in Bloomfield. Um, Bill, thanks very much for your kind words of welcome. And um, yes, I really would appreciate your prayers uh, for the next year or so, or however long it takes. Um, look, can I encourage you to open up your Bibles at Psalm 10 as we, as we look at God's Word this evening? Um, if you were to take a moment to think about the news over the past few months, as Andrea's already been praying tonight, I suspect it won't be very long before you ask the question that this psalm opens with. Cars being driven into crowds of tourists, whether it's in London or Charlottesville or Barcelona. People being scammed out of their life savings by over the telephone or by email. And sexual predators who prey on children and other vulnerable people. Millions of innocent people having to leave their homes and their livelihoods in the Middle East and parts of Africa. There are few days when the headlines in the news don't carry a story about someone being exploited, oppressed, used, or abused by someone else. The innocent and the weak suffer at the hands of the powerful and the strong. And even in everyday life, many of us or people we know have been tricked or treated unjustly by someone else. Psalm 10 opens up with an agonizing question that most of us have either asked or heard being asked by others, especially when we think about suffering and why God lets it happen. We'll go to the next slide. Yeah. Where is God? How could God allow these things to happen? Or in the words of the psalmist, why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? 
It's a question that vexes both Christians and non-Christians, and a question that puts many people off searching for God. Now, right at the start, let me say that Psalm 10 does not give us all the answers to why suffering happens, but it does show us how to think in the face of suffering, in the face of the question, why, O Lord, do you stand far off? It shows us how to think. And the first thing we need to understand is this. It's okay to ask the question, why? The book of Psalms has been described as an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. And that includes those times when we are down instead of happy. It includes the times when we're angry instead of at peace and contented with the world. It includes those times when we're confused with life and we don't understand what is happening and why it's happening. Those times when we feel abandoned instead of protected. This psalm begins in a place of confusion and maybe even anger. Faced with the injustice that the psalmist sees all around him, he asks, where are you, Lord? Why are you letting this happen? For us, hearing about elderly people getting scammed out of their life savings or the hopelessness of girls who have been sold into the slavery of the sex trade or the thousands in the Middle Middle East and parts of Africa forced to leave home, or in the face of a society that is wrecking havoc with God's order and design and creation, we ask, why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? These types of questions don't just apply to the world around us. There are other times when we ask, why, closer to home, even within the church? The psalmist asks his why question here because he sees people within the nation of Israel turning away from God. In verse 3, the wicked person reviles the Lord. That's God's name, Yahweh. This person who reviles God knows the name that he has given to his covenant people. And in verse 5, God's laws are far from this person. Again, God's laws were given to his people, those who were in the community of that knew God through covenant. It was God's people who were given the law to show them how to live. I wonder, have you ever asked the question, why, O Lord, when you see that the fighting in a church makes the headlines in the newspapers yet again? Or when you hear about another church or another denomination that has turned away from the Bible's teaching on marriage? Or when you hear the hurt and the sense of betrayal amongst those who have been caught up in leadership and power plays within churches. So whether it's in response to the world around us or to the failings of the church itself, God gives us permission to ask why. And that's a good thing. In fact, it's a perfectly natural thing for us as human beings to ask. One of the the theological distinctives or one of the basic truths, if you like, that the Reformed tradition is known for is a belief in God's sovereignty. God is in charge. God is King and Lord. Nothing happens that He doesn't know about or allows to happen. Even the actions of the wicked and the evil are overruled by God to bring about His purposes and plans. Now, I'm not saying that God is responsible for evil, not at all. God is never responsible for bringing about evil. But God can rule over evil. He can overrule it to bring about His purposes. 
I believe that wholeheartedly, but I'm also a human being with a very limited understanding, and I have no idea how God is bringing about His perfect plans and purposes. So, while I believe God is sovereign, and while I believe that in the end all things will work for the good of those who love God, there are many times when the only response I might have is to ask, why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? A child who loses sight of their parents in a shopping center will begin to feel afraid. Even if mum or dad is just on the other side of the display stand, even when the parents know exactly where the child is and are in complete control of the situation, the child can still feel afraid. And sometimes the children of God lose sight of their heavenly father. And much of the time, the children of God don't understand how the Lord is bringing about his perfect plans. In Romans 11, after he's written about why uh, the nation of Israel had rejected the Lord Jesus, Paul says, For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? And so the children of God can ask quite honestly, Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? So that's the first thing we need to see. It's okay to ask God why. Now, while it's okay to ask why, and while it's okay to express our sense of confusion at what goes on, especially in times when it looks as if God isn't doing anything, while it's okay to ask that question, it doesn't necessarily mean that we'll get the answers that we would like. And Psalm 10 doesn't give us the answer to the question that it starts off with doesn't give us the answer to that why question. So as agonizing as our questions might be, they might remain unanswered. But Psalm 10 does something else for us. It tells us how to think, and it does that by showing us where wickedness comes from. It gives us an anatomy of the wicked. Verses 2 to 11 give us a pretty comprehensive picture of the wicked man. I wonder who you think about when you think of arch-villains. Maybe it's not Ernst Stavro Blofeld from the James Bond films, but that picture is pretty wicked and evil-looking. But the wicked man of verse 2 and the he and his all the way through the psalm are generic terms. This is a general description of wicked people. We should see in this wicked man a representative of wicked people. And what do we learn from it? Well, the first thing is that wickedness starts in the heart. Verses 3 to 6, we see the attitude of the wicked. He is boastful in verse 3. Proud in verse 4. Haughty, verse 5. This wicked person is self-centered and full full of a sense of his own importance. As well as being proud, his sense of right and wrong is twisted and out of kilter. He blesses the greedy, verse 3. And instead of wanting to live according to God's ways, verse 5, he is more interested in following and is proud of the cravings of his own heart, verse 3. And ultimately, he is like this because he reviles the Lord, verse 3, because he makes no room for God, verse 4. And these attitudes, this wicked heart, work their way out in actions, 
cursing others, telling lies instead of truth, threatening others, and stirring up trouble, verse 7. But it doesn't just stop at speaking hatred. He exploits others. He plots against them. He devours other people to fill his own appetites and hunger, like a lion waiting and hiding to pounce on its prey, so the wicked person uses others to get what he wants. He leaves them crushed and fallen. And in his thinking, God will do nothing about his wickedness. There is no fear of justice, no notion of a righteous God who will hold him to account. It's not that this wicked person denies God's existence, but there is no fear of God in this person. God has no relevance for him. There might be some acknowledgement of God's existence, but God has nothing to say to him. God has nothing to say about his thinking. God has nothing to say to this self-made, self-reliant, self-focused man. And right here, we have the reason why there is evil and suffering in this world. Human beings have turned away from God, and in doing that, they have become self-centered, self-focused, and self-reliant. I think it's Tim Keller who talks about people turning in on themselves when they turn away from God. They define how they should live. They define what is right and wrong. Some people may have a fear of the police and the courts. They may be kept from much evil by the laws of the land. But inside, there is still this turning away from God, a denial that God has anything to say to them, a denial of God's laws and God's ways. And from this godless self-centeredness come evil actions that exploit and crush others. It's a damning anatomy of the wicked person. Now, before we get too judgmental and maybe a little bit smug, this is the condition of all human beings. Paul quotes verse 7 from this psalm in Romans chapter 3. He describes what human beings are like. He describes what is wrong with humanity. And this is, how, what, this is what he says about all human beings. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. All human beings are corrupted in their thinking and actions, and it's because we are separated from God, it's because we are alienated from God that we are like this. So instead of thinking about arch-villains like Blofeld and James Bond, we really should be looking in the mirror. Every human being has within them the potential to carry out the evil and wicked acts listed in these verses. We're all born like this. We're all born with the potential to do everything that is written here. Every one of us. And that's why the first thing we need is a Savior. Not just someone to save us from the wickedness of others, but someone to save us, first of all, from the wickedness of ourselves. And it's in the God who saves that we find the answer to our biggest problem, our own sin and wickedness. So the psalm gives us an agonizing question. It also gives us an anatomy of the wicked, but finally it gives us an awesome answer. 
The psalmist says in verse 12, he calls out in verse 12, Arise, Lord, lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. God is called to come to the help of the helpless, to take in hand the trouble and the grief of his downtrodden and oppressed people. Verse 14, the cry is for God to act against the wicked, for God to bring justice, for God to rise up against the arrogant and the selfish, against those who devour others. And God has acted. God has risen. God has lifted up his hand to save his people. Andrea read words earlier on from that vision in Revelation chapter 4 and 5 when John sees the throne room of God. And in that chapter, in Revelation chapter 5, John is told that the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered and is worthy to reign over all of history. And when John looks, he doesn't see a lion, but a lamb that looks as though it has been killed. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, has conquered, but he did it by giving himself over to wicked men who reviled him. Jesus Christ defeated the forces and powers of wickedness by giving himself over to the pride and the self-importance of the Jewish religious leaders. He brought justice to bear against sin and Satan by having the greatest injustice in the history of the world carried out against him. The religious experts of Jesus' day, the men steeped in the Old Testament, the men who would have known this psalm, well, they were the ones who lay in wait for Jesus. They set traps for our Lord. And when they did have him arrested, they lied against him to get a guilty verdict. And as they watched his life being crushed on the cross, they cursed him and they mocked him. They reviled the Son of God who had come to bring salvation. God has already risen. God has lifted up his hand. God has remembered the helpless. Those like us who were helplessly chained up by the power of sin and death and Satan. God has saved God has made freedom possible. Freedom from the powers that cause people to commit the evil and the wickedness that this psalm shows us. God has done all this because he loves his people. But you might well be asking, how does that help us? As we look at the suffering and the pain of a fallen world, as we look at the pain and the suffering around us, how does that help us when we hear about the latest acts of wickedness and evil carried out against the innocent and the powerless. The psalmist asks the Lord to break the arm of the wicked and evil man in verse 15. Well, God has already broken the arm of the evil one, Satan. As we were singing just before the sermon, Satan was defeated when the Lord Jesus rose again from the dead, and his days are numbered just as are the days of all those who do evil and wicked things. Look down at verse 16 at the end of the psalm there. When Satan's time is up and when the wicked and evil have had their time, the Lord, who is king forever and ever, will return to this earth in all his glorious might and power, and on that day justice will be done. The nations of verse 16 were the enemies of God's people, Israel. So, in other words, when the Lord, who is king forever and ever, returns, the enemies of God's people will be dealt with. 
all those who still revile the Lord and still devour the weak and helpless, well, they will know God's justice. That is, unless they come to know God as their Savior first. We live in the age when the good news about Jesus is still being preached. We live in the age when salvation from sin is still available. But this good news age will not last forever. God will come back. God will put an end to all evil and wickedness. Psalm 10 may not give us the answer to why God seems far off at times, but it does remind us of where evil comes from. And it reminds us that God will not allow evil and wickedness to have the final say. The Lord has already acted to break the power of sin and Satan. He did that by taking the punishment that you and I deserve when he died on the cross. And because of that, we don't have to answer for our own sin and wickedness. But rather, we know the blessings that belong to children of God. But for all those who continue to reject him, for all those who continue to revile the name of the Lord Jesus, well, then there is a day coming when they will answer for it. There's a day coming where they will, where they will have to answer for every self-centered, self-promoting, God-denying attitude and action they have ever committed. Sometimes at home, our internet connection becomes really slow. And it's usually fixed by hitting the reset button on the side of the wireless router. The router resets and the signal becomes stronger and the connection gets faster again. Well, Psalm 10 is like a reset button for God's people. Yes, we may often ask the question, why, O Lord? And there's nothing wrong with asking that question. And all we might be able to see for a while is how evil and selfish and godless the wicked are. But we need to get to the end of Psalm 16. We need to have our minds and our hearts reset to see the God who is on the throne, the God who sees everything, every act of evil and wickedness ever committed, every act that causes the suffering of ourselves and someone else. We need to have our minds and hearts reset to see the God who will one day rid his world of evil and put an end to the terror that human beings cause to each other. We need to remember the contrast that the psalm ends with. Verse 18, we're told that men are of the earth. They are nothing but dust. But verse 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. That's what we need to remember, especially in the times when we suffer and others around us suffer. And we're tempted to ask the question, why, O Lord? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful truths that we have been singing this evening, that you are the one who reigns, that our Lord Jesus Christ, after suffering on the cross, rose from the dead, defeating death and Satan and sin, and is seated on the throne in heaven at your right hand side, reigning over everything and everyone on this earth. But Lord, there are times when we don't see that. Lord, we thank you 
that you understand when we ask, why, O Lord, are you afar off? But Lord, help us to remember that you are the King forever and ever. Help us, Lord, to see that you rule over even the things that cause us pain and suffering. Help us, Lord, to know you more in those painful times. Help us, Lord, to be able to testify that I trusted in the Lord and he wasn't found wanting. Even the Lord Jesus cried from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But Lord, help us to turn to you in those times. Help us to cling on to you. And even when we feel that our faith might be slipping, help us to remember that it is you who clings on to us. Lord, keep our faith strong, we pray, that we would see you return as king and know the truth that the Lord is king forever and ever. Amen.